Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of Journey Women, I chatted with my former pastor and friend, Brad Evangelista, about spiritual disciplines. Y'all, I cried twice in this episode, audibly. That's a first for me. Brad and I talked about everything from the goal of practicing the spiritual disciplines to how doing so will flesh itself out differently based on our season of life. This quote brought on the waterworks. There's a 25 or a 30 year old mom that may be listening to this. And right now, one of the fruits that God is building in her life is not feelings of awesomeness, but right now he's developing in her life spiritual grit He's putting calluses, spiritually speaking, on her hands so that when she is a 55-year-old or 60-year-old woman 20 or 30 years from now, she's going to be able to come alongside a young, struggling, tired, frustrated mom who's the same age she is now, and she's going to be able to look in her eyes and say, Sister, you're going to make it. And, 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 And that's the fruit that God is producing and anchoring and digging deep into a young woman's wife life right now and the thing is i would say to that sister just hold on because the the harvest will come in and through your life of godliness but it's it takes time it takes time i know you guys are going to find this conversation deeply encouraging but before we dig in i need to share our incredible sponsors that help to make today's episode of the journey women podcast possible hellofresh and swap.com Y'all have heard of HelloFresh because I've talked about it plenty. My favorite meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and get this, delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes with pre-measured ingredients so that you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. HelloFresh has three plans to choose from, classic veggie and family, which will be delivered right to your door in recyclable insulated packaging. I have loved not having to plan dinner, spend money on takeout, or worry about gathering all the necessary little ingredients for new recipes week after week. Let's be honest, I'd forget to buy half the ingredients anyways. In the box HelloFresh sent me this week, we received a fun day fajita bar with southwestern pork, onion, and bell peppers, which was delicious. It's such a relief not having to even think about what we're having for dinner because HelloFresh takes care of it for me. You can have it too. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter JourneyWomen30. That's HelloFresh.com and enter JourneyWomen30. Now, on to my conversation with Brad Evangelista. Brad, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. It's such an honor to have you on the show. And I have had you on my hopeful list of prospective guests since I started brainstorming for the podcast. So it's an honor to have you on today. Oh, absolutely. It's a joy. And we miss you here at Crosspoint. And I hope that the Army sends you back our way someday. Oh, my goodness. We miss you, too. Whenever I told Brooks, who I was interviewing this morning, he was like, tell Brad I say hey. So we miss you guys a lot. But can you tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yes. My name is Brad Evangelista, and I'm the lead pastor of Cross Point Church in Columbus, Georgia. It has gone by quickly, but this April of 2018 will be our 13th year as a church. We planted the church in April of 2005. I'm married to my wife, Jennifer. We've been married for 23 years now. We celebrated our 23rd anniversary this past December. Oh, congratulations. Were you guys visiting your son when you celebrated your anniversary? We had just, it was a couple weeks before, so right after Thanksgiving, we spent 10 days in Beijing. And so our anniversary was December 17th. 
we have the same anniversary. I feel like I knew this, but I forgot. Yep. I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's Happy right. Happy anniversary. Thank you. You too. We're probably a few years ahead of you guys, I think. Yes. <laughs> we have four children. Our oldest son, Joseph, is 19. And he is currently in Beijing, China, where he's teaching English at a Christian school there. So cool. And then we have a 16-year-old Jacob, who's a junior in high school, and a 12-year-old Arabella, who is in the seventh grade. She's about to be 13 on Valentine's Day. Oh. Yeah, it's a great birthday for a girl. And our youngest is another boy, Abraham, who just turned 10 this past fall. So three boys and one girl. And my wife... Jennifer is from Columbus here, and I was stationed here in the Army. I'm originally from California, grew up right on the Mexican border in Southern California, and then went away to college at West Point and was commissioned as an infantry officer in the Army and was stationed here at Fort Benning, like, just like Brooks and every other young infantry officer yes. at Fort Benning. And so in 1993, was that 25 years ago now, I came through Fort Benning as a young soldier and met Jennifer at her home church when she was a medical student, home doing a rotation at a local hospital. And we met while I was going through I. Bullock, infantry officer, basic course, and quickly fell in love and were married, spent a few years in the Army. And then when I got out of the Army in 1998, we came back here to Columbus and got into pastoral ministry and was on staff at actually her home church. And then we planted Cross Point in 2005. So it's been an incredible 23 years together and a wonderful 13 years here at Cross Point. And the Lord has been very gracious to us. That is amazing. And speaking of 13, Jennifer was actually on the 13th podcast, yeah. of the Journey Women podcast. So Praise God. Yeah, she's episode 13. If you guys want to go back and listen, and Brooks and I had the blessing of being a part of Cross Point Church. And while we were there, actually, we did a book called The Spiritual Disciplines by Donald S. Whitney. And we talked a lot about the spiritual disciplines during that time at Cross Point in the women's ministry. And so when I started thinking about different topics that I'd like to address on the podcast, this came up and your name came to my mind. So I am excited to hash through the topic of spiritual disciplines with you today. Yes, me too. Well, before we start, can you kind of lay out what are spiritual disciplines for somebody who hasn't heard that term before? Yeah. So you mentioned Whitney's book. To me, that's kind of like the gold standard on this topic. Whitney would define spiritual disciplines in a kind of a broad way, really just any practice, something that a believer does and he would anchor it as something that's found in Scripture that would promote spiritual growth or Christ-likeness, sanctification mm -hmm. in the believer. And so in Whitney's book, he, you know, kind of each of his chapters is devoted to one of the disciplines. And he would, you know, kind of classically limit them to things that you specifically see in Scripture. And he calls it Bible intake, but that's his way of saying just reading the Scriptures. Right. Prayer, worship, evangelism, sharing your faith, serving stewardship, fasting, many groups, silence and solitude together. And then he adds journaling and learning as well. And so those are, again, kind of a broad application. And so that, that's how Whitney would define those. And he's careful to say that they are practices, disciplines, things that you actually do, they're actions uh -huh. that a believer takes. And he's careful to separate it from an attitude, you know, and so he's really encouraging us to get in the discipline, and that, that's where that word comes from, of doing something that maybe our heart and our mind isn't totally aligned with at the time to put us in a position through habit and through discipline to posture ourselves in a way 
that we can be in a place where we grow spiritually and the Lord uses all these means to bring his growth and grace and the work of the Spirit in our hearts. So that's how Whitney would define it. I will say that he's not my first introduction to spiritual disciplines. When I was in seminary years ago, the kind of the classic work on spiritual disciplines is from a man named Richard Foster, and he yeah. wrote Celebration of Discipline. Discipline I believe yeah. It's a classic book, and that book was very impactful on me at the time when I read it, probably in the early 2000s. Now, I would say that as time has gone, I think I've developed maybe a few key theological differences maybe from where Foster would be, but I certainly have a deep appreciation for Foster. And Foster added a few things. He kind of broke it up into the inward disciplines. Hmm. He calls those inward disciplines meditation, prayer, fasting, and study, things that are really going on inside a believer. And then his next category is the outward disciplines, simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then he has a third component, corporate disciplines, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. And so they're not that different from Whitney's, but Foster comes from a kind of contemplative stream of the church. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that he's interested in are, I think, very helpful, but they're a little bit more kind of the mystic vein of the history of the church. And I don't use that word mystic pejoratively. I'm thinking of people like the Desert Fathers, you know, the early three, four hundreds that separated themselves for the sake of really, you know, growing closer to Christ. That's a wonderful thing to do, certainly. I think there can be danger in that as well as it can be kind of uh, too much of an individual pursuit. Yeah. Where I'm attracted to Whitney is there seems to be a kind of ordinariness about Whitney's approach. I imagine some of your listeners may be thinking, oh, you know, this is just another thing that I need to do better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it can almost be a sort of recipe for more kind of guilt. Shame, yes, that's what I was thinking. And so I think that if any of your listeners are prone to that, I think we all are to some degree, I want to encourage them that is not the point of spiritual disciplines. And we'll talk about that in a little bit about just how to do this from grace in the gospel. Right. If you maybe have seen Whitney's book and you think, oh, that's just another thing for me to read and I'm just going to feel, but no, he's really, really gracious. There's a real practicality to it. And the other thing that I really appreciated about Whitney in this book that we went through as a church is how he roots it in the local church, the covenant community of the local church. And I think instinctively, when people think about spiritual disciplines, they think about an individual activity. And certainly there's an individual aspect to Bible reading and prayer. Yeah. Years ago, Whitney wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines in the Life of the Church as a kind of supplement. Hmm. And he's really talking about how these things are worked out in the life. Totally. Of the community. Yeah. It's almost like a Bonhoeffer life together kind of concept. Exactly. He says, you know, for example, many Christians may struggle reading the Bible on their own, praying on their own. And he's really trying to push us into doing that in community. You think about the history of the church, how the vast majority of Christians through the centuries, many of them were illiterate. Right did not have the scriptures in their own language. But yet, you know, you see the the believing community thriving through the ages in various pockets and areas. And so praise God for the fact that we have the word of God in our own language. But Whitney's careful to guard us from, like you said, shame and an overly individualistic pursuit of the spiritual discipline. So I really appreciate that about his book. But yeah, that was a long-winded answer to that is what spiritual disciplines are and kind of a sketch of what they are. Yeah. You know, I think that my generation in particular moves away from even thinking about discipline because we feel 
oppressed by it. And so I'd love for you to just kind of address how we actually can practice the spiritual disciplines by walking in grace, like practicing them from the gospel. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that the Protestant Reformation and the need for the Reformation, I think, is still alive and well, even just secretly in our hearts. I mean, the battle of the Reformation is how is a person made right with a holy God? Mm -hmm. How are we justified? And since the Garden of Eden, we have all, because of our fallen nature, we've all been trying to justify ourselves. Right. And I think that if we approach, and I think that's the way even born-again, regenerate believers, we still have to deprogram ourselves mm-hmm. from justification by works. Yeah. If we realize that we are not justified by what we do, no amount of Bible reading, no amount of adherence to a new 2018 Bible reading plan, no amount of prayer, no amount of evangelism will make me, if I am in Christ, nothing will make me more loved than I already am in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the scandalous good news of the gospel. We're going through Romans right now, and I'm reading, and I'm just, I'm preaching through Romans, and my soul is being refreshed mm-hmm. in that. They're justified as a free gift of faith by Christ. So we are saved by works, but it's by Christ's work. And totally. Nothing could be added to that. And I think that realizing that resting in that is so important, but that rest then from that rest uh-huh. comes our ability to strive. If we think that striving will lead to rest, then I think we're trying to still justify ourselves. But actually, rest, resting in the free grace of the gospel, resting in the unconditional grace of God through Jesus Christ, then I think empowers us to strive. A wonderful picture of that, in fact, speaking of Whitney's book, is his book opens up with this wonderful picture that has stuck in my mind for some time. And Whitney opens with this little boy, Kevin, who I think he says is six or seven years old, mm-hmm. and the instrument, maybe it's a violin or a yeah. guitar. Yeah. And he says that this little boy is struggling with you know, the discipline to practice his musical instrument, and his mom is fussing at him and he won't do it. But he said, imagine this angel could transport Kevin to Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And there's this beautiful you know, I think it's a guitar player. Yeah, a guitar player. Yeah. And there's this beautiful picture of this guitar player who's performing at Carnegie Hall. And little Kevin is like, wow, that's amazing. And then the angel says to little Kevin, you know, that's you. That's you in the future. But it's guaranteed that's going to be you. But the way you get there is to practice. Uh And that little boy is kind of teleported back into his reality. Now, what is that picture of that guaranteed future going to do for that little boy. It's going to motivate him. Uh You know, anchoring that in Scripture, and specifically just as I'm thinking through Romans, this verse in Romans 8, and I think you guys were here, I don't know if you were here when we went through Romans 8, just as an isolated chapter. Yeah, I think so. I'm memorizing that right now. I don't think I'm to that point, though. Romans 8, verse 29, I think is one of the most important verses for sanctification and striving and spiritual disciplines. And Paul says this in Romans 8, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, there's a lot that's going on in that verse about just soteriology and the way the Lord works salvation, mm-hmm. and that be debated by Christians in different sort of theological camps. But whatever you believe about those words at the beginning of the verse, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, predestined we can all agree that that's speaking of the final state of the believer, however we get there, whatever you may believe about how the Lord works his grace, that that's where 
believers end up. Mm -hmm. What does God say about that process? He says, for those who before knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what God is saying through Paul there is that he guarantees not only our final place, our glorification, that we're going to be with him, our destination, heaven. He's also guaranteeing the process of confirmation whereby we will actually become like Jesus. And I take that to mean not just a snap of the fingers at our death when we're with the Lord, but the process of sanctification becoming more like him. And so I want to connect that to what Whitney says in this little picture of this little boy, Kevin, is that I take that verse to be saying that God is guaranteeing that we, after we have been born again, after we have been justified, he's guaranteeing that the work of his spirit will conform his people to the image of Christ. Of course, I don't think it will ever be complete in this life. That, that's sanctification. We all, to some degree, will limp into heaven. But God guarantees that we will be conformed in the image of his son. And so, you know, with that as my motivation, I want to lean into my laziness. I want to lean into my discouragement with this kind of guarantee that God has said, this is where you will end up. Mm -hmm. So fight, you know, fight from that place, strive from that place. And yeah, it will never be perfect in this life. But for me, that's a place I can strive from rather than a kind of opposite view is like, if you do this, then the Lord will be pleased with you. Right. And that can bring despair in my heart pretty quickly. So Totally, because we know how yeah. prone we are to falter in yeah. that. Yeah. Well, yeah. how does he actually use the spiritual disciplines to conform us into the image of his son, as you mentioned? Yeah. So I think in many ways, it's a kind of, it's like watching grass grow. or a little truth. It's imperceptible to us in the moment. I think of this picture of the spiritual disciplines as being, it's like putting yourself in a stream. Picture yourself as just being just muddy and dirty from a long day's work. And you just get in a stream and just the waters of God's grace through Mm. posturing yourself through Bible reading, fellowship with other believers, I think corporate worship is clearly a discipline, hearing the word preached, serving people. You posture yourself to where you are not the center of the universe. And that has a slow and gradual and often Mm -hmm. in the moment imperceptible effect on us to anchor us and to divert our eyes from ourselves. I am so prone to shrink my universe down to the subjective way that I'm feeling in that Mm -hmm, moment. Totally. And in that moment, like life can come crashing in, I can lose hope, I can be very discouraged. But spiritual, even if I'm not feeling it, you know, even if I don't have the feels in that moment, but I'm practicing the discipline of coming to my Bible Mm -hmm. regularly, practicing, you know, gathering with the church, I'm practicing, just think about the word serving. Like, even if I'm a believer in a local church and I am signed up for the nursery that week. Well, what's happening when I'm signed up for the nursery? I'm not just missing the maybe the more pleasurable time of being in the sanctuary and hearing a sermon that I want to be inspired by or my favorite song. But in that moment, I am actually, even if it's slightly begrudgingly, I am being forced 
to take my eyes off of myself and to serve somebody else. And I actually think that in a very ordinary way is at the very heart of discipleship. It's at the very heart of discipline. And God is putting me in a situation where I am forced to consider somebody Mm -hmm. else. You know, think about a family who may be dealing with a fussy child. I'm forced to hear somebody else's. It lifts my eyes from my own belly button. And when we put ourselves in those positions over and over and over again, the Lord makes Tim Keller wrote this beautiful little book. It's called the camera. It's the art or the helpfulness of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's one of my favorites. Yes. And so I think that the spiritual disciplines help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. Yeah. And over the course of time, that just has a way of anchoring us. Then I think the effect of it is how it changes us is, I think of this verse in Ephesians 4, where Paul is talking about how the Lord gives gifts to the church. And he says in verse 11 that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But then look at the effect of what this corporate life should have. And although he may not be speaking specifically about spiritual disciplines here, I do think there's a kind of secondary application that when we do life together in this Christ-pursuing, intentional way in the covenant community, this is the effect that it should have on a believer. It says in the second half of verse 12, for building up the Mm. body of Christ, all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, doesn't that sound like what's going on in Romans 8, 29, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ? And then he says, what's the effect of this here on this earth? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So how does the Lord change us as we kind of practice this really ordinary, unspectacular, sort of unromantic, gritty, sometimes begrudging, not with the best attitude life in spiritual disciplines in the context of a covenant community? Over the course of time, we just find ourselves just loving Jesus more, being more committed to people that are harder to love, you know, in the local church. We find ourselves just being more firmly convicted about the things that we believe. We, we find ourselves being more, we're just more stable. And then what that produces in us is a kind of gravity that then external circumstances, whatever they may be, can't knock us off of our blocks as easily. Yeah, There's a kind of of rootedness to a Christian that as a person who is in these regular rhythms, I find it really attractive, a kind of a simple rootedness. And then I think the Lord uses that to be a kind of witness to an onlooking world. I strive to be through the disciplines, one of those type of people who has just kind of an unflappability about them, you know? Yes. Maybe somebody sends you a kind of snipey little email. (laughs) Little negative iTunes review. (laughs) <laughs> something, yeah, something like and we just know how like how easily that can affect us and how oh it can just you know, wreck external... my day you know something so tiny yes we all can play the game like it doesn't no big deal but deep down inside we just oh no you know the world's falling apart but i think when we put ourselves when we have this regular discipline of connecting with the lord of communing with the lord it makes us less prone 
to these winds that are going to knock us off of our horse. And so there's a freedom to that. Absolutely. I think of that verse in Isaiah 32, I think it is, where it says, the effect, the the fruit of righteousness will be peace and steadfastness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how the Lord uses these disciplines to affect a kind of rootedness in the life of the believer. Now, the thing is, the challenge is for us as Americans, isn't everything in our society geared the other way? It's quick. It's this, it's that. Yeah. I mean, we live in a world that, you know, I love college football, man, if a college football here in SEC country, if a new coach doesn't turn his team around in one or two years, I mean, we're already looking for the next guy. We have no patience. (laughs) That's not the way the spiritual life works. And so you mentioned earlier about kind of your generation easily maybe not liking discipline. Well, I think all of us as Americans, we don't like things that Mm -hmm. take time. We want quickness. I mean, we get frustrated when, you know, our internet doesn't work or (laughs) guilty. DirecTV is buffering and, you know, the game is, I think we need to confess, like, Lord, we are the most impatient generation in the history of humanity. I think the spiritual disciplines have a way of detoxing us from our impatience. Yeah. You know, and in speaking of impatience, I also <laughs> just have, I don't know, it's hard for me to practice disciplines and things like that because I also have a busyness about my life. Yeah. And yeah. In the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the impatience, where do we receive our desire and our power for actually practicing the spiritual disciplines? Because we're talking about it. But then when it gets down to the nitty gritty of like, I'm actually going to wake up at 530 because my babies wake up at 630. It can be really challenging. That's a great question. What I would say is that I would want to couch the spiritual life in this context, that it is a fight for joy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, one of the people that's been most influential on me, he really was decisive and just kind of reordering my theological word was John Piper. And if your listeners are familiar with him, he speaks a lot about what he calls Christian hedonism, which is kind of a jarring phrase because we think of hedonism as a kind of pejorative term. But Piper turns it around and he says that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And so he says that The Christian life really should be lived from a place where God is not against our joy, but actually is for our greater joy. Mm -hmm. And so if I can see my pursuit of the spiritual disciplines as a fight for joy, then I am going to actually be lining my heart up with the way God actually made me. God's not against my joy. He's actually for my true joy in true things, not counterfeit joys. For example, sometimes I'll think, you know, about eating the things that I know are right. Yes. In my mind, I'll think, okay, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I had a salad for lunch. There's some snicker bars in this jar up at the front. (laughs) I know right where those are. You've been in that office before. (laughs) I could grab one and it's going to give me a kind of immediate pleasure. But I think, you know, how am I going to feel 30 minutes from now? I'm not going to, it's going to make me kind of sluggish. And so what I'm actually want to do there is I want to fight my sweet tooth by thinking I'm not going to give in to that sort of immediate counterfeit joy. I'm going to actually I'm going to feel better about yeah. myself. And there's more joy if I fight that. Well, admittedly, I don't always win that battle, <laughs> but I find that fighting for the greater joy mm. is a better way to sort of motivate myself 
for spiritual discipline. There's this wonderful sermon by this old Scottish pastor. His name is Thomas Chalmers. The name of the sermon is the expulsive, not the explosive, but the expulsive power of a new affection. Mm. What it says is, is the way to get rid of kind of old affections or maybe laziness in your heart is to not by just removing the old affection, but by replacing it with a new one. And so yes. I think if we can and we get a, a sense of, you know, the joy that will come when I, you know, maybe read my Bible or join with other believers or practice this particular discipline, I think that's where the motivation comes from. But then I think just back to what we talked about earlier is just giving yourself grace. Like yeah. if you're a mother and you're getting up at five o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning with a fussy child or a child that needs to eat, mm-hmm. maybe the most spiritual thing that you can do in that moment is not beat yourself up because you're not getting to read your Bible like you want to, but right then you're serving. You're serving. Yeah, that's a spiritual discipline. You are serving your child. Hmm. You're serving your family. And maybe the most spiritual thing you can do in that moment is to not be reading your Bible or some other maybe more romantic spiritual discipline. Maybe the best thing you can do in that moment for your family is to serve that child and then to go take a nap. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that almost brings tears to my eyes. We're going to take a quick break from my conversation with Brad so that I can tell you about Swap.com, the world's largest online consignment and thrift store. Did you know that over 14 million tons of textiles are wasted each year? Shopping secondhand on Swap.com helps prevent textile waste from polluting the environment. That in and of itself is a good enough reason to check it out. But listen to this. With Swap.com, you can also save up to 90% off retail price on your favorite brands like Lululemon, Carter's, Nike, J.Crew, and Gap. Between six to 10,000 new items are added daily. You can help cut back on environmental waste while still wearing the brands you love. If something doesn't fit, enjoy hassle-free returns within 30 days, no questions asked. Right now, Swap.com is offering Journeywoman listeners 40% off their first order on Swap.com plus free shipping. Some exclusions may apply. Use the promo code JOURNEY40, that's JOURNEY40 at checkout. Now, back to my conversation with Brad Evangelista. How can we discern that? Because I think so often we have these ideas about what it should look like, but what suggestions do you have for those of us that are in a more demanding season like mothering little people or maybe studying for your college exams or working long hours? And, you know, for those of us that struggle with walking forward in grace when we desire so desperately to be practicing the spiritual disciplines diligently? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I will say this. I think that maybe, and I want to say this with a whole lot of humility in realizing that we're all vulnerable. I don't want to come across like Dennis the Menace's, you know, neighbor, like Mr. Wilson, like, get off my lawn, you know, you young kids don't, I don't want to, but I do think that a younger generation is more prone to comparison. And I think maybe the best things that maybe young moms can do is just maybe take a sabbatical from social media. Yeah. I think they see their friends who they love, maybe in their church community who post stuff that the best of themselves on Instagram or Facebook, and it can become really, really discouraging. And so I think maybe one of the best things we can do is just be careful not to compare ourselves to one another and to limit our intake Mm -hmm. of the avenues that inherently in and of themselves are not bad. They can be gifts of God, but they can be used by our enemy to discourage us. And if your children aren't, and you've heard me 
preaching along these lines. If your children aren't as beautiful as your friends or, you know, eating kale at six <laughs> months old, Beethoven, I mean, it can be a really discouraging thing. One of the things that maybe people need to do is to just guard their heart mm-hmm. from things that are potential avenues of discouragement. Think about what stirs your affections for Christ and what decreases your affections for right. Christ. Really have a hard conversation with yourself and do more of the things that stir your affection yes. rather than decrease your affection. And so, yeah, I think maybe one of the most spiritual things people can do is just give themselves a little break from the comparison. Yeah, game. I totally agree. What did you say? The expulsive? I've never heard of that term before, but crowding it out. Yeah. I remember you yeah. telling me that. And actually, that's one of the practices that I'm trying to do this year. And even in thinking about social media, I really am trying to prioritize, again, some of these life-giving disciplines over anything else so that that's the first thing I turn to when I'm feeling moments of discouragement or despair. And that can be really, really practical because right now my life season is very demanding. So it might look like really simply, instead of opening up Instagram, I'm going to open up my Bible app and I'm going to be, you know, looking at that Colossians verse, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth, you know, just taking a quick glance at something that I know and trust and believe will actually breathe life into me as opposed to kind of mentally checking out. Yes. What are the other beauties and rewards that we get as we practice the spiritual disciplines? For me, one is assurance. And it's not so much that I'm at a point in my life where I'm doubting my salvation, but there's an assurance that comes when I am rooted in communion with the Lord and his saints, Mm -hmm. I am less prone to be a functional atheist. And I think, you know, to some degree, we all sort of have gospel amnesia. We forget God and his promises. Yeah, we have this kind of 30,000 category where like, yeah, I know I'm saved. I know I'm justified. Justified. But man, life can feel so turbulent. And when we're in this stream, we're kind of putting ourselves under the flow of God's grace and the work of the Spirit that comes with spiritual disciplines, I think it just brings assurance, a kind of rootedness in us. I think of that text in 2 Timothy verse 1 where Paul says, I am persuaded that he will guard that which I've committed to him until that day. And so there's this kind of rootedness that comes with a person that they believe the promises of God and they can act from mm-hmm. them. And yeah, I think that just has a Speaking of evangelism as a kind of spiritualism, it has a wonderful aroma. When a person has that aroma about their lives, it becomes really attractive to unbelievers. And many of the unbelievers that probably a lot of your listeners deal with are people who think they're believers, but actually aren't. We live in the land in the deep south where there are a bunch of goats who think that they're sheep. Right. And one of the ways that goats who think that they're sheep become true sheep is by being around sheep who are actually truly sheep. And so for me, assurance, a kind of confidence in the Lord's fatherly disposition towards me is one of the beautiful things that comes from spiritual disciplines, knowing that that I'm loved, that there's nothing that I can do that can make myself more justified. Mm -hmm. I'm free to strive and I'm free to fail. Even just the way I'm talking now, I'm thinking, I don't want some young sister that's listening Mm -hmm. to this to think, oh, well, here's this pastor that's got all... No, I mean, if I could take you into my thought life and into my mind, and it's Monday morning, and Monday mornings are particularly difficult for me, like after preaching on Sunday, I think if people could get inside my head and my heart and the way I feel sometimes, 
they would be really, really encouraged, and they would probably also never come back to this church. It's <laughs> like, you know, like the Christian life is a fight. It's a battle. There's something that might encourage your readers is to just to read like David and the Psalms, yeah. you know, and one minute he's praising the Lord. And then yeah. the next minute, you know, Psalm 13, he's like, where are you, O Lord? How long will you forget me forever? There's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Uh, many of the Psalms are laments. And this is part of the Christian experience. And so the struggle, the strain, the frustration, the despairing. Even all of that, all of that is loaded into what's going on in Romans 8.29. It's part of the way God weans us from this world and roos us to himself through causing us through his kind fatherly disposition to go through these dry, rugged times where we fight and we struggle and we strive and we strain and things aren't wonderful. All of that is part of the growing process in the life of a Christian. I mean, nobody knows it better than your husband, Brooks, who's been through some really difficult, you know, training in the army and difficult experiences. Well, I'll tell you this, when he went to ranger school, it wasn't, it, it was, and I've been through that as well. I mean, yeah, it's hard. Yes. You know, anything that's worth it in this life involves difficulty. We serve a high priest who's not unfamiliar with our struggle and strain. You know, Hebrews 2, he had to be made like us in every way. As the young mom is wrestling, you know, Jesus is not unacquainted with that struggle, that strain, that wrestling. He had to learn obedience. This is an incredible phrase that I don't think we can ever fully understand this side of eternity. But Hebrews 2 says that Jesus had to learn obedience. Mm. And so think about that. The creator God, Colossians 1 says that Jesus created everything. It was for him and through him. But yet, in his humanity, and this is a mystery that, we, again, we can't fully even explain doctrinally, Jesus, always fully God, never stopped being fully God, but yet in his humanity had to learn obedience. And so, wow, I mean, let that be an encouragement to a young mom Absolutely. who is struggling, is straining, feels like she's failing. Of course, Jesus never failed. He endured for us all that we have to endure and is not unacquainted mm -hmm. with our weakness and was made like us in every way and this season will pass mm -hmm. <laughs> there'll be a, there's a 25 or a 30 year old mom that may be listening to this and right now one of the fruits that god is building in her life is not feelings of awesomeness but right now he's developing in her life spiritual grit He's putting calluses, spiritually speaking, on her hands so that when she is a 55-year-old or 60-year-old woman 20 or 30 years from now, she's going to be able to come alongside a young, struggling, tired, frustrated mom who's the same age she is now, and she's going to be able to look in her eyes and say, sister, you're going to make it. And that's the fruit that God is producing and anchoring and digging deep into a young woman's life right now. And the thing is, I would say to that sister, just hold on, because the harvest will come in and through your life of godliness. But it takes time. It takes time. I'm sorry. I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. That is so deeply encouraging. And I know so many of the listeners are in the same life phases as me, you know, with two little kids. And 
I definitely feel that. And I know that will be a deep encouragement to them. And for those who are looking to just start somewhere, maybe they haven't really ever practiced the spiritual disciplines in their personal life or maybe even corporately, what would you suggest to them? Where should they start? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I think probably a starting place is just engaging. I think, you know, if you had to rank the spiritual disciplines, yeah. you know, and that, that's, that's kind of a strange way of looking at it. But I think the most important, the most central, I think they all kind of flow out of, you know, reading the word and prayer. Yes. I think those two things go together. And so I just, I would encourage sisters to just, to just take in the Bible, lower your expectations. I want to say, you know, one of the things about our cultures, I love you know, Americans, we're so good at organizing things, at engineering things, at, in a lot of ways, even complexifying things. And I would just say to sisters, like, just read yeah. your Bible. Yes. Don't feel like you always have to study your, we've almost, I don't want to lose your listeners and crash your podcast here, but <laughs> I think sometimes we make an idol right. out of Bible study. Yeah, I agree. And certainly Bible study is a wonderful thing to do. I'm not in any way saying we shouldn't study the Bible, but I do think we have a tendency to over-engineer right. it a little bit. And so I want to say that reading the Bible is just read it. Don't seek yes. to understand it, every little nook and cranny. Think of it this way. As a child, how did we learn English? When we were two years old, we didn't have a copy of Webster's with us. We just kept hearing that word that mm -hmm. we learned over and over and over again. And by the time we were three, we understood more. And by the time we were 10, we understood more. And we were just, we were around the language. And I think as you're around the Bible, as you're reading it, as you're hearing it preached, as you go to a Bible study, you're just, you're becoming more and more fluent in the scriptures. And that happens over the course of time. So, yes. so I would, you know, don't be discouraged. Again, strive from a place of rest. If you listen, if you don't get to reading your Bible today, you know, you're not going to turn into a pumpkin at midnight. <laughs> yes. You know, he's not going to cast you off. And so I would say dust yourself off. You know, if you're the type of person that is a Bible reading type plan person, and, and I am, think of it this way. You know, Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Well, I'm going to say that the Bible reading plan was made for men and women. Men and women weren't made for the Bible reading uh -huh. plan. Don't let that be a law hanging over your head. If you find yourself uh -huh. behind, well, just, just keep reading. Yes. And give yourself grace. I would say st just begin with taking in the Bible as often as you can without the need to study it sort of verse by verse. Yeah, extensively. Yep. Yeah. I love how Jen Wilkin words that. She just says you're putting in little deposits, like making investments into your bank account. And that's been a huge encouragement to me as a mom. And even practically, I literally last year just read through the Bible cover to cover because I didn't even have the capacity with a two and a one-year-old to keep track of my plan. Yep. So I just kept a bookmark right there. And I'm like, okay, yep. I left off in Exodus 25. Okay, tomorrow, reading Exodus 26. Like, no big deal. That's right. That's right. So obviously yeah. the Bible, obviously prayer. What other resources would you recommend for somebody who's wanting to grow in their practice of the spiritual disciplines? I would say, you know, Whitney's book is excellent. I think that I can't really recommend that highly enough. I like to read older books that have stood the test of time. There's these little things called the Puritan paperbacks. They're little books that are the banner of truth has reprinted all of these old English Puritans from the 16 and 1700s. There's one in particular that's just been so helpful to me. 
It's by Jeremiah Burroughs, and it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Mm. It's it's dense. It's not like easy reading, right. but it's certainly very attainable. And I just will read like a paragraph at a time, mm. not day, but I have it on my desk all the time. And I'm just kind of always going to that. And it just sort of, it weans me from modern life. And it sort of taps me into these people who, before there was an internet, before there yeah. was the printing before there was all of these resources, people who actually had to just really, really read the Bible. Their only resource was the Bible, and they thought deeply and in a long way about the Christian life. And I just find myself always being refreshed. So if there's somebody out there that says, oh, gosh, there's no way I could read some Puritan. Yeah, you can. Like, you can just read it slowly. So I'd recommend that little book. I just bought that with one click. So how's that for immediate gratification? <laughs> okay, there you go. Another book just in the vein of reading kind of these people in the history of the church. Mm-hmm. This name may intimidate some people, but you know, John Calvin, he wrote this huge thing called the Institutes of Christian Religion, which seems like such an intimidating thing. But there's a little portion that they've published. I'm not sure who the publisher is, but you can look it up on Amazon. And it's called A Little Book on the Christian Life. Mm. And it is so readable. It is so devotional. It is so accessible. It's just a Christian classic. It's very short. It's a very small little book. And it's by John Calvin. It's called A Little Book on the Christian Life. And it's really just about kind of the discipline of just denying yourself and picking up your cross and following the Lord daily. And it's just wonderful. It's very readable. It's warm. It's pastoral. It's encouraging. I think every Christian that has the time would really benefit from reading that book. But again, you know, I don't want to add a to-do list or a reading list. You know, if you're the type of person that's prone to buy something and then it just sort of sits on your night shelf, hey, don't be discouraged, brother or sister. Just, man, anchor yourself in, you know, reading the Bible. Yes. And here's another little practice I would say that's helpful is this might be a way of kind of kindling the fire mm-hmm. of a desire for your readers. Rather than reading, maybe if you have a Bible reading plan, it's wonderful, stick to that. But maybe one thing that I think is a good practice that I use to sort of warm my heart is I will take some of Paul's shorter epistles. Mm-hmm. I will just read through them in one setting quickly over and over and over again. So maybe mm. a week might just be reading through Colossians over and over and over again. And I just marinate myself in Colossians or Philippians or Galatians or Ephesians. These short little, very kind of to the point epistles that Paul has written about the Christian life can really kind of warm your heart, whet your appetite for wanting more. And again, you read through Colossians 10 times over the course of a month, you're going to have a better understanding of the beauty of the message of Colossians. It's going to want to, it's going to kind of release, I think, sort of spiritual endorphins in your heart that you're going to want more Mm -hmm. in all of the scriptures. And I think it's going to help motivate you to read other parts of the Bible as well. But, you know, there's a sense of accomplishment. Like, wow, I read a whole book of the Bible in like 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You just read Colossians and do that over and over and over again. That can, I think, kind of fan into flame discipline in a person's heart. Absolutely. I so prefer reading, but for the moms that are listening, you can also do that on your iPhone if you're listening in the car or whatever. I mean, I put it on for the kids because it's great for the kids to hear scripture too. So it's super encouraging. Well, Brad, I ask a question of every guest and it's a bit girly, but if you'll appease me, what are your three simple joys? (laughs) 
Well, yeah. So I would say three simple joys. Well, uh, certainly my family, just, you know, my wife and children and seeing my children grow and by God's grace, I think that all my children love the Lord mm-hmm. for their age level. And I love the church, which has been a particular grace. Just thinking yeah. about growing up in a pastor's family and how sometimes pastor's children are prone to just discouragement. They have a front row at kind of behind the scenes, Brad, and, and they're, they're more acquainted with my hypocrisy than anybody else. But the Lord has graciously guarded them from mm-hmm. that and all my kids to be Again, walking. Praise the Lord. Just my family. Just what a grace God has given me in my family. That's, I think, a joy. Mm-hmm. I think, secondly, is a joy and a kind of, it's like a two-edged sword. I think preaching God's word mm-hmm. is a kind of burden and a joy mm-hmm. that the Lord has used in my life to, mm. yeah, to be a real source of joy. I think that. In a way, I feel kind of like I'm cheating. <laughs> you know, like the Lord, like the Lord has arranged my life so that vocationally, right. there's a people called the local church who are saying we're going to set your life aside and actually pay you to study the. And I have, <laughs> you know, Sunday after Sunday, it's like the tide; it's coming. You know, I have to be in the Word because yes. I get up in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> Such accountability. There's a grace in yeah. that, and there can be a kind of a burden in that, but there are times, and certainly doesn't happen every Sunday, but when just you feel like, wow, like the Lord is using me to help the people right. that I love. Shepherd his people. Yeah. So I would say that was kind of like my second joy is just kind of being a deliverer of God's word. And then I would say, you know, thirdly, just seeing life, the ordinary, unspectacular, beautiful, slow, uncomfortable, fruit-bearing life in the local church is just, is you know, Spurgeon, and you know I love Spurgeon. Yes, I'm surprised he wasn't on this list. <laughs> Spurgeon called the church in a sermon, he called it the dearest place on earth. Wow. And, you know, that phrase has stuck in my mind. I read that sermon years ago, that the church really is the dearest place on earth. But it's the dearest place on earth, not because it's the easiest place, not because it's the most comfortable place. In fact, it can be a very hard place. It can be an inconvenient place. It can be a place where we are exposed for our selfishness. It could be a place where we have to deal with people. But in all of that, like it is the dearest, it's the one place that God promised. You know, Ephesians 3, verse 10, God says that it's through the local church that he desires to make his manifold wisdom known to the principalities and cosmic powers of this world through the dusty, imperfect, very much in process, bride of Christ. That's the dearest place on earth. And so I would say just like mm. seeing... You know, young military wives come through Crosspoint and connect with each other and to forge lifelong friendships. And that's just a joy to see an upper middle class white collar person befriend somebody of a completely different demographic and be in the same community group and do life together. I mean, that, there's just nothing more beautiful than that. Yeah. That is like that is a strange aroma to an onlooking world. And when they see the local church, people who are together, 
not because they're from the same demographic or the same neighborhood. Yeah. Because they have anything in common other than the fact that Jesus is the mm. That is such a joy to see, to see people bear with one another, to see people work through difficulty with one another, repent, forgive, care for each other. Oh, that's just the dearest place on earth. And so, yeah, that would be man a joy. I simultaneously want to just dive into Colossians after yeah. we get off this podcast and then yet also go to church and be with all my people. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Thank you. And here's the thing. It's not like even if the sermon is mediocre and the song isn't very good <laughs> and the microphone messes up and your work in nursery and the kid has a blowout diaper and, you know, <laughs> but see that like that, that like that's the beautiful place, because what are we doing in that moment? We're really being more Christ like maybe even more so than yeah. we would be when yes you know, when we're in a wonderful place with a world class preacher where the music is awesome and everybody's mm. great you know that 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 yeah that might be fun but that's not real life and yeah. when we kind of exhaust ourselves for just regular gruffy people like us there's just something beautiful about that it's satisfying it's restful it's safe it's where totally. family of god yeah man well i have had the joy of getting to do that in real time with you, with your family, with the body of believers at Cross Point in Columbus, Georgia. And you've had such a impact and an influence, Brad, on my own walk with the Lord. And I know that there have been many that have gone before you that have helped you as well. So I'd love to hear who it is that's had the biggest influence on your journey with Jesus. Oh, gosh. Is it limited to just one? Can I rattle off? No, this is whatever you want to make it. Yeah. I would say first, just my brother, my older brother. I get emotional even thinking about it, but I didn't grow up knowing the Lord. And mm -hmm. I was in a typical nominal family that we thought we were Christians and we weren't. My brother went away to college and he became a born again believer. And he would come back from college and he would witness to me. Huh. And it took, it took about three years. But through my brother sharing the gospel with me on March 16th, 1989, when I was a senior in high school, mm. his girlfriend, now his wife, my sister-in-law, and he, actually he had gone back to college. She took me to a crusade where I heard the gospel for the first time. Wow. In fact, my brother is the reason I think I'm in ministry. He, one day he was saying goodbye to me as I was going back to college and he had seen fruit in my life after I'd come to Christ. And he said, Brad, you should think about pastoral ministry someday. Wow. And just out of the blue. And so, yeah, just through my brother's witness, I think I, the Lord used that to bring me to faith. And I think he even put me into ministry. And then my first pastor at West Point, my first pastor at West Point when I was a cadet at West Point, a man named Randy Chiz was this young 34-year-old church planter at this little church outside the gates of West Point. And I was a plebe at the military academy getting yelled at <laughs> a cadet who was supposed to be hazing me, invited me to this church. And there was this young church planter who had started this church right outside the gates of West Point. And I just learned to love the local church. I learned to love just ministry. He gave me opportunities to teach and even to preach as a cadet. And I think it was there in that local church that the Lord really solidified my call to ministry. So his name is Randy Chiz. I love that man when I think about him, just a, a beautiful saint. Wow. Well, I know your love. I'm sorry, I've cried multiple times on this podcast. This has never happened. <laughs> 
I know your love for Spurgeon. I know your love for so many of the Puritans of old and the great heroes of our faith. But even hearing you describe how the people that have really impacted your walk with Jesus are the normal everyday people, your brother, a pastor at West Point. I hope that everybody who's listening is just encouraged to continue walking out their faith in the grace of the gospel and trust that he will use you right where you are, whether it's changing dirty diapers or studying for finals. So Brad, thank you. This has been a deep encouragement to me. It's been a joy to have you on the podcast today. Amen. Thank you, Hunter. Love you guys. Man, I hope that you guys found my conversation with Brad as encouraging and as grace-filled as I did. As always, you can find the links and noteworthy quotes on our website, journeywomenpodcast.com, listed under the show notes. To continue discussing spiritual disciplines with us, hop over to at journeywomenpodcast on Facebook and Instagram or at journeywomenpod on Twitter. You'll also want to be sure to subscribe to the podcast as we'll be diving into more of the specific spiritual disciplines that Brad mentioned throughout 2018 with various guests. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, we would love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on iTunes. If you don't know how, you can find that information under the podcast section on our website. Doing this helps put our podcast on the radar of other women who are also on their journey to glorify God. Thank you so much for allowing us to journey alongside you guys. We cannot wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.